Welcome to Raising OKC Kids, Conversations with Metro Family in Oklahoma City. I'm Erin Page, and today I am joined by the Commissioner of the Oklahoma State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, Carrie Slatton-Hodges, to provide parents with the information we need to talk to our kids about suicide prevention. Welcome, Commissioner. Thanks so much for joining me. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Before we get started, I'd like to tell our listeners a bit more about you. Prior to her current role, Commissioner Slatton Hodges served 12 years as the Deputy Commissioner for the Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse, overseeing treatment and recovery services through state-operated and contracted treatment providers. She serves on the National Association of State Mental Health Program Directors Board of Directors, as a licensed professional counselor for more than 30 years, she has hands-on experience in the field of mental health. She has held a variety of clinical and administrative positions in both the public and private sectors, delivering and managing all aspects of behavioral health services in rural and urban settings. Commissioner, to start us off today, first, I'd love to hear from you. What is the most rewarding part of the work you and your team do every day at the Oklahoma State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse? Well, definitely the most rewarding is when we get to hear from persons who have had services um, about where they are today and the things that they're achieving. That's absolutely the best part. I will never tire of that for my entire life. It's so wonderful to hear of people who have overcome so much, who were either in the throes of addiction or having serious mental health issues that were interrupting their ability to live their life to the fullest. And then to have them come back and tell us about where they are now and the things they've achieved is just, it's just magic. You all really do incredible work. And I can imagine how fulfilling that is to, to get to see the individual lives that, that you all get to impact. So September is National Suicide Prevention Awareness Month. And today we really want to get your expert advice to give parents the tools we need to talk about suicide with our kids, be aware of the signs of a child contemplating suicide and know how to effectively intervene. So first, how do we even bring up the topic of suicide with our kids? And what's the right age to start having these conversations? Well, I think that's a really good question. And it's something that I think is on parents' minds all the time. Um, and especially nowadays, as you hear more and more about the emotional distress that kids are under and the, um, you'll read different studies about the higher percentages of kids who have these thoughts. Um, and kids are exposed to so much more now. So even, even maybe folks who had not thought about something like that can see it as an option now where before they may have not even ever had that thought in their head. So I do think it's incredibly important to have an open dialogue with your kid. Now, if you've got a little kid that is, is happy and interactive and, and not withdrawn or not sudden changes in behavior, then 
there's really not a need to start having that conversation. What I would say is, you know, kids developmentally fall in kind of categories, but each individual kid is different. And they all mature and age at different rates, girls versus boys as well. And so you're really just gonna have to pay attention and be in tune with your child. And the thing that I would say is most important is are there changes in behavior and really watch for those. And, and some of the key ones are, are the sleeping patterns changing. Is a child that used to sleep very soundly now awake in the middle of the night? If a kid that used to be active and interacting with others is now having a desire to sleep all the time, those are the types of things that would prompt a conversation. Um, but it's also okay for say, uh, just prior to teen up through teens to have those conversations on a, on a regular basis, even if they aren't showing changes in behavior, because it's important, they may encounter friends that are having thoughts. And so that it's not a taboo subject for them to be able to talk to their friends about or or others to be able to lend support if they see someone that's in one of their friends has a change in behavior to be able to say, you know, gosh, have you ever had thoughts of wishing you weren't here or thoughts about that you, you just never want to wake up again? Um, those kinds of things are important. Now, I, when I say that, there does get to be a little bit of confusion, I think, um, a lot of times around, well, does having a thought mean that a person is actively suicidal? Not necessarily. The, there, there are times when people get weary. There's times when their workload, maybe at school is overwhelming, or they've had a particularly challenging friend relationship go bad. And they may, a, a person, and this is whether you're a child or an adult, may have a thought of, I just don't know how much more of this I can take. But that doesn't necessarily mean someone is actively suicidal. So you really have to sit down and have an open, honest communication and ask the right questions. And then if there is at any point in that, that you feel like, oh, this doesn't feel right, this doesn't sound right, or even my gut is telling me there is more going on here, then that's when you need to go ahead and reach out for some professional assistance, which can really just mean having someone else for your child to talk to so that if for whatever reason, maybe they're afraid you're gonna think bad of them or they don't wanna disappoint you, if for whatever reason they're not able at that point in time, even though maybe you've had a great relationship in all other areas, that they have someone that they can talk to about these things and that that person can be really looking at the level of risk that is involved. And, and they'll also then have communication with you um, as the parent about what they're seeing and what things you might wanna be cautious about. So, um, so first and foremost, open and honest dialogue um, anywhere that you can. 
be observant of behaviors, changes in grades, loss of interest in activities that they used to have an interest in, or um, withdrawing from friends and family, or all kinds of behaviors that should prompt having conversations with your kids. And then at that point in time, if you feel like that conversation is not getting what you feel like is needed or at the root of the problem, that's when you need to reach out. Such great information and advice. And I really appreciate the nuance of those questions you shared that we could ask, um, you know, and I think when I think about talking to kids about suicide, I'm thinking of asking, are you thinking of committing suicide? Are you thinking of trying to kill yourself? But you're, those questions that you posed, you know, do you, where you're trying to kind of determine, do you not want to wake up tomorrow? Do you not want to be here anymore? Um, and, and that seems to me, as I'm hearing you talk through that, a little bit of an easier conversation to have with your kids or something easier for them maybe to admit to you. Um, yes. So yeah, I, let's, let's talk about some of, of those nuanced feelings to start opening that conversation. And then, you know, you, you can have conversations about, you know, if, if your kid were to say, you know, yeah, I feel that way sometimes. And, you know, then it's okay to say, you know, sometimes I feel really overwhelmed too. And, um, you know, and I'll, I can give you an example of when I had a lot going on and that I felt like I didn't feel like getting out of bed. And then explain that and say, is that does this seem similar to how you're feeling right now, or does yours feel different than that? And really, just try to, you know, to be as open and honest. And and I think one of the things that having those conversations can lead to that is so important culturally, really, is for it not to be so taboo to have these conversations. And, um, and I will tell you, if you ask someone, are you thinking of, of killing yourself or are you thinking of committing suicide? Just as you said, that can be a real conversation ender. Um, if someone truly is actively feeling that way and they don't want you to know, you're likely to answer that question, no. But if you start talking about feelings and whether you're feeling overwhelmed and um, those types of things, you can start getting a lot more information from a more subtle kind of line of, of conversation. And, you know, as parents, um, you may never do this, but it's so easy to fall into the parent cycle of saying, I'm asking you a question and you need to answer it. And, um, and these are more subtle conversations. Sometimes you almost have to put your, I am the one in charge and you're the one that's listening um, aside a little bit to say, let's, let's just dig a little bit deeper. Let's just, let's just have a conversation. That's so helpful. And I, um, you know, the idea of kind of bringing into these conversations depression or that feeling of overwhelm. Um, it, it's more of a kind of holistic, well-rounded conversation about all of those feelings. 
I yes. love that you mentioned normalizing what, you know, we as the parent are feeling. I know that is, that's usually the way I can get my kids to open up and, and have hard conversations with them. If I share something about what I have been through, yes. um, what do we as parents need to know about our family history or if our kids have potential predisposition to depression? And then how does that play into these kinds of conversations? You know, that's such a great question because one of the things that we do know about many um, psychiatric illnesses is that there's a genetic link. And what seems to happen as people is we all have predispositions towards things. You may have a predisposition towards high blood pressure. You may have a predisposition towards diabetes. You may have a predisposition towards depression or anxiety. And so if you understand and look at honestly your family history and see what has gone on, both from health and a mental health standpoint, what we know then is when you have times of stress, then those predispositions start to become symptoms. And that can be on the health side and it also can be on the mental health side. So if you and your sister and your uncle all suffered from depression, then that's something you need to keep an eye on with your child. And, um, Oftentimes in families, what you'll see is you'll have one child who seems to be the complete opposite of depression, and you'll have another child that will have a tendency to view life through a more depressive lens. And that really is a result of their genetics and how they were built. And so really being able to be aware of that and to take that into account. Now, that doesn't mean that they need to be the, the child that has no predisposition towards it. It just means that that, like any other condition, is something you want to keep an eye on. Um, and also to make sure that there is a lot of self-care that goes on in your household, in your family. Because the thing that prevents those predispositions, oftentimes, not always, but those predispositions from becoming full-blown uh, symptoms or disorders is what happens when there's high levels of stress. Am I getting plenty of sleep? Am I um, having enough downtime? Am I getting regular exercise? Am I eating healthy? And all of us as humans, unfortunately, whether you're a child or an adult, in times of high stress, tend to drop all the self-care habits. And then that starts to increase the symptoms on top of the stress already. So that's something as a parent, you can really kind of monitor if it's getting to be around test time or tryout times or those any area that you think might increase stress in your child's life is to really stick with those, what time we're going to bed. When we start winding down to go to bed, um, what kinds of rituals help us go to sleep? Is that 
that we make sure we took a walk after dinner so that we got some exercise to release some of that stress? Um, is it that we read for 30 minutes before we go to bed? Um, and then as you're fixing meals or your child is selecting items, try to make sure that you get things in there that we know are actually going to combat stress, whether it's you know, vegetables, healthy fruits, you know, all of those types of things. People don't necessarily realize what a huge difference that can make, can make a huge difference. And that's so empowering too, I think, for parents to, to realize we have a little bit of control here and there are some things we can do to create an environment for our kids and for ourselves too, uh, like you said, to battle some of those predispositions. Um, you talked um, some about signs or symptoms that a child could be having suicidal thoughts, change in grades, change in sleep patterns, interests. Um, are there any others we need to be aware of as parents, um, especially any that might not be as intuitive? Well, I think one of the things uh, in society today that is really important for us to keep a pulse on is, is your child experiencing what I would say is bullying? Are they feeling picked upon either on social media, which we know it is rampant, um, or at school? Are they finding themselves in situations where they feel uncomfortable so they don't feel safe when they're going to school because something is going awry there? So those kinds of conversations and, and uh, notations about what are my child's social interactions like? And the other thing that is a huge mitigating factor is does your child have some close friends they have developed that they can talk to as well? Um, but those are some really big drivers in our society today. And I would say, you know, more, the more we know about social media, the more scary it is um, in terms of driving eating disorders and in, in and females, and in particular, uh, youth, um, the amount of bullying that goes on in social media, the distorted views that kids can develop about, about what their life should be like compared to what they're seeing on a lot of these platforms. And so I would say as a parent, um, making sure that that is limited, um, that they're is an amount of time or that type of thing. And also just really inquiring about, you know, I, I hear that sometimes in social media platforms, uh, people can be uh, more hostile or more critical than they would be face-to-face. -face. Have you ever experienced something like that? And to be able to share and, and find those conversations because unfortunately, Nowadays, those are big drivers. That is so helpful. Thank you. Um, okay, if we suspect that our own child or a child we care about is having suicidal thoughts or might act on those thoughts, you know, especially if we're having those conversations with our kids, like you said, and our instincts are telling us that something is wrong, what do we do 
And is there training that parents or caregivers can go through to learn how to effectively respond? Yes and yes. Um, the, the first piece I would say today is to call 988. Because when you call 98, there's a number of things that they can help you with or can happen. One is um, they can tell you about resources, resources in your area um, where you might be able to receive further assistance if that's what you're looking for. But they can also listen very carefully to you and what you're seeing and what's happening and they can make a determination of, if you would like someone to come out now, we'll send someone out and we can all sit down together and we can start this process right away. If um, what is going on um, is at that level, that you are that concerned, then they can send a mobile team out who can sit down with you and kind of start that whole process and have conversations with your child as well. Now, they'll always try to have them as family conversations, but if they're feeling like they're hitting a barrier there, then they'll do some particular conversations with the child and then loop you back in. But um, so, so 988 is such a resource and it's actually a resource for kids themselves too. So um, on 988, there's also a warm line. So if, if maybe you're not in crisis, but man, you just really like to talk to someone because it just, I've had a really bad day. Um, I'm having trouble keeping these thoughts out of my mind. Um, there's a warm line where a teen or yourself can just talk to someone um, now, at any point in that, if there are red flags that they see, then they're going to um, move on to um, a different course of action, which would, would be asking about, can I talk to your mom, or maybe even decide that they need to send mobile crisis out, which really is a team of people, um, to come out and say, hey, I think there's more here than, than we might have thought that we need to sit down and talk about what the next step should be. So I would say call 98, now they're 988. If, if it is more that you're seeing kind of a slight trend, you can always have that conversation with your um, pediatrician or primary care physician as well. Um, they're um, oftentimes have um, great information and insight they can share with you and have conversations with your child. And then also, kind of link you up for further care as well if that's needed. So those are the two things that I would recommend. And honestly, my favorite is calling 988 because sometimes when you're feeling anxious about your child, you wanna to talk to someone right away. Um, and that's a way you can do that. And I wanna talk more about 988. Um, this is obviously a really heavy topic for a lot of our listeners today. And so if if you're listening and you're not familiar with 988, this is a, a fairly new development. It's really exciting. The Oklahoma State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse recently released this new statewide mental health hotline. It replaces the 11-digit National Suicide Prevention Lifeline number. So mm -hmm. like the commissioner said, you call 988 
It's um, operating 24 seven. It offers services for mental health crisis calls. Those operators are licensed and certified health crisis specialists, like she mentioned. They can answer calls and connect to and dispatch those local services and mobile crisis teams. Um, so commissioner, you talked a little bit about an example of when a parent might want to call 988 either in crisis or if you just need someone to talk to. Um, what can you tell us so far about the success of 988 and what is your vision for how it continues to grow and serve more people going forward? Well, so, you know, it's interesting, 988, um, our federal legislature a couple of years ago decided that we needed an easy number for mental health issues. Um, thank goodness. Because most people, when they are in a crisis, the only number they have is 911. Well, if you dial 911, you get a police response. And that's not really necessarily the level of intervention that you need or desire. And it prevents a lot of people from reaching out. So um, in Oklahoma, we took advantage of having this national turned on number. Now it's from any landline or cell phone to say, let's build this whole system around this number. So as you mentioned, you can call, you know, 24 seven. It also has um, text and chat, um, which is great in that um, teens and younger folks are love that. They prefer not to have a conversation face-to-face -face, oftentimes if they can. And so they can text 988 and uh, they'll get a response immediately and can start having a dialogue that way about what's going on or how they're feeling, et cetera. Um, but it, it is a wonderful opportunity because there really is no long time to call 988. Um, you may think, well, I don't know if this qualifies as a crisis. It doesn't have to be. If, if you need information, you want to talk, or it can be a crisis, any and all of those things, what it really is, is a connection to care. And we just want to connect you and um, prevent really bad things from happening is the number one goal is to link people with whatever help they need, or be able to help them feel reassured that what they're feeling or observing is normal, um, or if it is escalated, to be able to have an immediate link to help. So if, if I was a parent, I would feel very relieved and very excited that we have this uh, number and this system now. And I would also, I would make sure that my kids knew. Um, if you're ever around here, we'll give you a magnet, um, but or, or at any at health fairs, et cetera, we'll be out and about um, many places. But I would think that's something you want to put on your refrigerator, just like you would a, a poison control number um, so that you have someone to guide you in whatever is going on or to ask questions or um, find out where you can get help. I know as a mom, I was so excited <laughs> when I read the press release about 988. And, and like you said, that we have a, a separate 
place that we can call that is just for mental health resources. I think um, that that feels very reassuring to me as a parent. And I hadn't even thought about making sure that my kids know the number and know what services are offered. And so I'm thinking, especially for, you know, our older kids, like you discussed earlier, if they have a friend or a classmate that they're concerned about, or um, that has confided in our child that they're thinking about suicide, 988 is is what they should definitely refer to, but what are some other things that we should kind of teach our kids to do in those kinds of situations? Um, Around a friend or um, if they encounter someone that maybe is struggling. So I would say two things, you know, one is to make sure that that their friend knows they are there for them that you, you know you can call me i am here i am your friend two it's really important for them to let you know because these things um become ad- adults conversations pretty quickly and you're not betraying your friend you could be saving your friend's life and I will help your friend get help. I am, I am not going to put you in an awkward situation. Number one concern here is if you ever feel like you have a friend that is in that position, let me help you. Let, let's, let's first and foremost, make sure that your friend is safe and that your friend is going to continue on and graduate with you. And, um, and, and I know resources how to do that. Now that you know about 988, you have those resources at your fingertips. And so that's incredibly important. So I would say, let them know, look, you know, I know it's a tough time um, and I'm here for, for you and, um, and to let you know so that you can help them. And I would also say to, to make sure that your friend knows about 988, that they can text that number. In fact, you may even want to say, Let's text that number while we're here together. You know, go ahead and text it. And, and I'm just going to, I'll hand it off to you and the 988 worker from here. But I think it's really important for you to text this number. And then, you know, before you step away to have a conversation with your parent, you know that this person is connected immediately and can start that conversation and dialogue there. It's so helpful because I know for a lot of kids, that's a scary thing to think about finding an adult and telling an adult when their friend has likely said, please don't tell anyone. Of course, you, they're always going to say that. And I think it's um, almost one of those things like we have to teach our kids about um, there are categories of things that when people say don't tell, that's a red flag that we need to tell. Yes. And this is one of those things. These are these are a life and death situations. And the the not tell has to go out the window. And we have to first and foremost uh, be concerned about the safety of our friends and, and folks we love. That's really helpful. That's um... and, and you you asked earlier if there's any trainings. We we do a number of trainings. I'll, I'll give an example. One is called QPR, which is a training that is question, persuade, and refer. 
And it really kind of goes through how to have these types of conversations, um, how to do a little bit of motivational interviewing to uh, get the person to take a step on their own towards help, and then how to let them know what they should do and go about um, in order to get help. You can go on our odmhsas.org website and it will have where the next and nearest QPR training is that you can have as a parent. And um, in addition, on our website, we have a lot of resources. Um, there are uh, web-based trainings um, and as well as kind of resource um, videos that can help you. There's one, and we were talking earlier about self-care. There's a great one on self-care. And you can even say, hey, let's watch this self-care video as a family tonight. You know, it's 30 minutes. And then let's have a conversation about, you know, what do these things do we do and which ones do we not? And where can we um, improve our self-care in our family? So there's a lot of resources, um, but the, our website will link you to those. There is a plethora of resources. Every time I get on the website, I am amazed at how much great information is on there. So I wholeheartedly agree for families that have not been on the website before or not been on the website recently. There are, there are just so many helpful things for parents. What, what else is happening at the department that local families need to know about or what other resources would you suggest families check out? Um, well, you know, one of the things that there is a lot of conversation around these days is, um, and, and rightfully so. So, you know, we all, we all went through this really challenging last couple of years with COVID. And <clears throat> when your kid is going to school and when your kid is not, and when your kid is doing virtual school and when they are not, and all of those challenges and when they need to quarantine and for how long and so it's been a really challenging couple of years. And, and one of the things that we do know is that's had an impact on um, um, social skills, feelings of isolation, um, additional stress about school, whether I fell behind in schoolwork or did I miss something that now I'm not going to be prepared. And kids are just kind of emerging from this. And that's a lot of stress. And it's an adjustment too of being back in school and being in these social interaction settings and, um, and the demands of the classroom and the demands of homework. And so all of that is, is challenging. And as we start back to school, you know, really be mindful of, um, I'm a little older, but school is not what it was when I was a kid. <clears throat> the amount of homework that kids have nowadays is just would never have been thought of um, back when I was going to school. You went to school, you might have had maybe 30 minutes of uh, things that you had to complete, and then you were free to run and laugh and, and get outdoors and ride your bike and have a good time. And nowadays, there is a lot more pressure on kids. There's a lot more demands. There's a lot more homework. Um, 
all leading to a lot more stress and a lot more fatigue. <clears throat> and so I would be, be mindful of that and see what kind of time you can build into your family's schedule for downtime or family activities that don't have to be anything terribly exciting. It can be, let's go for a bike ride. You know, let's all walk the dog together this evening, hopefully as the temperatures decline a little bit. Um, and, and make sure you're building in those things as we start back to school. But I would also say um, school systems are looking to increase the amount of availability of counseling that they may offer. And um, we have a wealth of services through our provider network that also are going to schools. And it's interesting, this, this last year, there was a bill passed on the legislature that said all schools must work with and develop an MOU with the, we call them the community mental health centers or CCBHCs, but with the safety net provider in their community for what to do in case of emergency what to do when a child makes a statement about wanting to die, what, what to do when behavior has become uh, so aggressive you'd call it violence, all these types of things as this stress builds on um, or, or people are dealing with additional stress. And so we're really trying to strengthen connections at school to opportunities for youth if they do need to talk to someone or that sort of thing. So um, I think you'll just continue to see more and more of that um, happening is schools being more and more mindful about the mental health of kids and the demands that are placed on kids and building that in, whether it be into classroom models that they use or after school activities and really trying to build uh, mental health types of, of, of activities and additions into the daily routine. So we've been partnering with schools to work on that. And that's something that I hope we see a lot of fruition around in the next couple of years. That's really encouraging and, and exciting to hear. So as we wrap up kind of in tandem with that, what's your top piece of advice for parents on how we can prioritize and check in with our kids' mental health at home this school year? Well, first off, I would say having, having raised kids, I know it is not easy. Um, it's easier when they're younger. It's a, it's a different kind of challenge when they're younger. Um, you maybe are a little more exhausted when they're younger because you're just trying to keep them out of everything and from, you know, and keep up with that high activity level is, you know, is, is so much. But when they start to enter the preteens and the teens and you have, and you throw the hormone changes into that and you throw the social dynamics into that, um, it can be really challenging to know what is normal and developmental and what is a, a red flag? Because part of the normal developmental is to start to be more independent, to start to pull away from the family a little, to start to connect with their social group more than their family. And so it can be tricky. So what I would say is um, 
to try to find opportunities to spend with your kids that allow for free dialogue of conversation. That could be as easy as going shopping for a new pair of shoes or taking a bike ride to allow those times where, or a car trip, where um, conversation is something you do because you're, particip- you're focused on another activity. We're, we're playing horse, shooting some baskets in the driveway, but at the same time, we can be having a conversation. And I think that makes it a little bit easier for kids um, to normalize having those conversations. So just creating opportunities for that, um, doing regular check-ins um, and, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting and strange, but there has long been a, a, a wealth of data around the family sitting down and having dinner together and, and, and the, the resilience that that builds in kids. And I think one of the reasons that is, is because that's one of those activities, again, where you're doing something else. So all the pressure is not on you, but at the same time, it can allow for conversation to free flow about, um, you know, what was the best thing about your day? Were there any challenges? But it has to be a two-way street too. So no one feels interrogated. You kind of have to share as well the best things about your day and what challenges you have. And that just continues to build that relationship and free flowing open communication. And just to create opportunities like that to, um, to have dialogues with your kids that seem just a normal part of your everyday life. That's such great advice and um, feels like an easy way for this particular overwhelmed mom to build in those times for conversation with yes. my kids. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, especially for all the incredible work that you and your team are doing every day. Well, thank you. We have the most passionate people here. It's just amazing. Um, we all live for making a better Oklahoma and a better place for all of us, um, but in particularly so that we can be as mentally healthy as possible. And you all do an incredible job. Thank for, you. For our listeners, be sure to check out the Oklahoma State Department of Mental Health and Substance Abuse wrote a column in Metro Family's September-October issue on talking to kids about substance use. You can find that at metrofamilymagazine.com. There are some really sobering statistics about marijuana and alcohol use by kids in Oklahoma, but there are some great tips, advice, conversation starters for parents to have with your kids to really help them understand substance use and abuse. Plus, you can find more parenting resources on a variety of topics provided by the department at familyfieldguide.org. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Join us next time on Raising OKC Kids. Thank you.